On this episode of Athletic Training Chat, we have Jen Sturtevant, who is a secondary school athletic trainer, plus has clinical responsibilities, more on the administrative side, <clears throat> through Tufts Medical, and really has done quite a bit within that realm. But we are talking about her work on inclusivity, and we really spent a lot of time defining that, really talking about the barriers that people from marginalized groups can run into when it comes to healthcare in this particular episode. We are specifically talking about the LGBTQIA plus community. Jen just recently took over the committee chair position of the LGBTQ plus for the NATA, and we also talk about that. Along with that, we also talk about inclusive leadership and get into some of the difficult things that are leadership. Uh, but really how they can have such a meaningful impact in people's lives. So lots lots of great stuff to cover in this. As always, we are powered by Mueller Sports Medicine. Please check them out. They've got a lot of new stuff coming out. The cold tubs have been released, which are great um, for portable or storage issues as they're inflatable. Their revive system, uh, which is taking pneumatic compression to the next level. Be sure to check out Mueller Sports Medicine and all their new and happening things going on and without further ado please enjoy this episode training chat uh this is one we've been trying to get going for a little while but as all ats know especially now scheduling is its own unique battle but we're on today with jen sturt event which i think i got that pretty close um to talk about um inclusivity nat and just kind of in healthcare across the board uh jen is the committee chair of the lgbtq plus advisory committee at the nata uh if you have followed them on twitter they have been extremely active putting out really good stuff um it's been wonderful to learn and read and do all those things uh, so thank you for that but before we kind of start getting into some of our topics just wanted to turn it over to you jen to kind of fill in your background both as a you know clinically practicing athletic trainer and then you know working now on as the committee chair uh, at the national level. All right. Well, thanks, Joel. Um, yeah. So, just to give a little bit of background on myself, um, I you know went to Salem State University, which is in Salem, Massachusetts, the witch city. Um, so probably a lot of people are familiar with the the city itself. Uh, originally from Cape Cod, so um, have been in Mass all my life, um, but graduated back in 2000 with my bachelor's degree athletic training was certified and um, was a little burnt out from school not going to lie so kind of went in a different direction for a couple of years but um, came back to athletic training and started working for Tufts Medicine or Melrose Wakefield Hospital and do outreach services to one of the uh, local high schools so I've been doing that now for 18 years and um, I have my master's, I have an MBA. I did not do my graduate schooling in athletic training. I, I wanted to give myself um, some more opportunities and kind of broaden, broaden my skill set and, and my knowledge. So I did uh, an MBA through Salem State as well uh, a few years after graduating from undergrad. So um, and just kind of worked my way up. So I started out as just a, the athletic trainer providing outreach services. I'm now currently serving as the ambulatory services supervisor for the hospital while still providing the sports medicine services and overseeing our athletic training and sports med program. Um, we currently have seven full-time athletic trainers working under me with a bunch of per diems and a lot of different high school contracts. So it's been great. It's been a great experience. And, and part of that, um, I've been able to kind of grow my passion and motivation for advocacy work and, um, you know, allyship work and stuff. So it was funny. I've never really 
volunteered or or been involved in any um any nata stuff uh whether it be at the state level whether it be district level or the national level i just i would go to conferences and stuff but i was never mm -hmm. really involved um and when i saw the call go out that they were looking for a district one representative for the lgbtq plus committee back in 2018 at first, I was shocked that they had that kind of committee. I thought that was great. Obviously, it was new. And I, you know, I thought to myself, uh, you know, I love this work. I, you know, I'm, I'm true being part of the LGBTQ plus community myself. I, you know, it, it was something that hit home for me. But, you know, again, not having any volunteer experience or anything at any level, it I almost didn't actually apply for it. I just, you know, and then I go, you know what? I I know some people at the NATA level. Let me let me touch base with them and see what they think. And, and they said, you know, put your name in the hat. You have no idea. You never know. So I did. Um and I interviewed and there were I think three applicants at the time and they narrowed it down and I think I honestly think part of why I was chosen initially was because of my role working in a hospital system at the secondary school level, I think mm -hmm. it provided a different perspective. Um, a lot of the people who are already on the committee from the other districts did not work in this kind of setting. And so I think that was part of the appeal. Um, I was also at the time working and volunteering on the hospital LGBTQ plus resource committee. So I, I had that some of that experience in my background as well. But Yes. So I started out as the district one rep 2018. Um, and oh my God, what an amazing experience. It's been awesome. The people on the committee, I've learned so much. I've grown so much personally and professionally from it. And then when the opportunity came up, Dr. Rebecca Lopez was um, stepped, her term was up as chair. And, um, you know, I just, I, I went for it. And again, this is, you know, selected me and here I am. And I took over as chair this past June. So, okay. um, so just kind of getting going, but you know, we're still, you know, still got the steamboat going. I mean, it's, it's a ride. We, we've got a lot of work going on, a lot of passionate people, a lot of new committee members, but, um, you know, really just trying to do what we can for the membership and for our patients. So yeah, that's where we're at. Awesome. Quick aside, just because of the changing landscape of education, back to your MBA real quick. How, mm -hmm. just as briefly as you can or you would like to, how has going that route of doing something outside of the profession helped benefit you maybe in your just career, both clinically, you know, professionally job related, but even potentially with some of this committee related work that you've done? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I, I've... Um, I tried to be neutral when I used to be a preceptor, a lot of students would ask, you know, um, when they were going on to grad school, like, what should they study, you know, and I said, listen, I have people who have gone and done their graduate work with athletic training or more specific, maybe exercise phys or kinesiology or something along that lines. A lot of times it's because they wanted to teach. Um, but for me, I knew I didn't want to go that route. I, I knew I did not want to be an educator. Um, nothing against that. I think it's great. I, I'm really happy. It just wasn't for me. Um, and I felt for me clinically that I was going to know as much of the basics as I needed to know, and I could continue to grow on my own and learn new skills on my own. <clears throat> And I really wanted to get more into my ultimate goal was being more in a supervisory management type position. Um, and so I thought an MBA um, at the time, Salem State didn't have um, a master's of like public health or health administration. Sure. And so the MBA was kind of like the next choice. I mean, when you really think about it, athletic training is a business, just like everything else, you know, right. there's different areas, different departments, everything kind of has to work together. And so my focus, though, with the MBA was more on leadership, um, management and stuff. But 
I learned so much just in terms of even in the marketing field, the operations side of things, that was really huge um, to get some knowledge there on how things operate, you know, and, and how to develop those strategies and stuff like that. Uh, but really with the ultimate focus on leadership and how to work with teams and how to engage people and how to motivate them and how to be, you know, an effective leader. And so that kind of started more my leadership passion and then, you know, tying that in with all the advocacy work, it just kind of really fit together, but it's allowed me to move up, especially in a healthcare organization. You know, these are the things that, um, these are the types of degrees that a lot of healthcare administrators have is those MBAs or, mm -hmm. you know, MPHs and stuff. Sure. So it's really, um, you know, that was, I, I did my MBA back in 2010. Um, and I'm still, I'm still seeing the, the positive effects from that. Awesome. Thank you for that short aside. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no problem. <laughs> so kind of jumping into this episode that, you know, the inclusivity that we were talking about. First, I was wondering if you could kind of just help set a definition, kind of set a baseline. Um, I know just in our short conversation so far, we've referred to LGBTQ+, but then there's also um, other ones with IA included. Um, mm -hmm. And just, so if you wouldn't mind from your vantage point just kind of explaining what that is so everybody's kind of working from the same working definition as we keep talking about this community and this group as we get into more of the questions sure so lgbtq plus is obviously probably the most common acronym um so if people aren't aware it's uh lesbian gay bisexual transgender queer and then the plus is is supposed to indicate all the other identities and you know orientations uh, that exist. And recently, um, you'll notice in a lot of um, publications and text that goes out that we say LGBTQIA plus. So we're including intersex and asexual, um, and then adding the plus. So. It's a little bit more inclusive of an acronym when you add the IA. Um, obviously, our committee name is still LGBTQ+. Uh, you know, there's been talk on if we'd like to change that, but I think for now, we're leaving the committee name as that. But if you, anything that we put out, um, we're making sure to include it as LGBTQIA+. It just, it really just ultimately makes it more inclusive. Perfect. I'm Appreciate the just kind of setting mm -hmm. that. Um, yeah, short for, and sweet. Um, <laughs> nope, uh, I just uh, think it sets a really good foundation just for the further conversations uh, going on from this. So one of the kind of the really broad question, and this may answer a few of them as we get going. You know, what are the biggest barriers for this community when it comes to health, and that's both in athletic training, but then you have unique vantage point from working in a hospital system and you mentioned serving on committees within that broader health care mm -hmm. so maybe let's just start with the at community first just since that's i i think definitely with the at community um the one of the biggest challenges i think is there's still a lack of um understanding or education specifically probably more around transgender patients and what the AT role uh, would be if you had somebody who's uh, transgender. Um, I think part of the challenge too is, you know, some people, you know, just like everyone, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I, you know, yeah, it's a safe space. My area is a safe space. People can come and talk to me, but is it truly, you know, sometimes you don't realize, you know, that, you know, I'll totally age myself. I'm in my early forties and I know what it was like back in the nineties and the terminology that was used and the jokes that were made. And maybe people didn't feel like they were offensive or didn't really think anything of it at the time, but now it's just more more noticed it's more people are more aware um and so for instance i'll give an example working at a high school you know you hear a lot where kids will say 
oh that's so gay or you're so gay and they and they laugh about it and they joke about it but when you have somebody else who might be hearing that and somebody who maybe isn't comfortable with their um, identity or comfortable with their sexual orientation or hasn't really been able to be confident or be out with that um you know that's going to turn them away because that that you know that's an insult that's offensive to them but when everybody else is just kind of joking about it and nothing's really addressed you know you might you as the athletic trainer might not even necessarily notice or recognize mm -hmm. that if you're not paying attention um and it might cause somebody to not feel comfortable coming to that space, not because of you, but maybe just because of what's going on um, around you with the other kids. Sure. And so I think as ATs right there, that's a barrier, right? Because they don't potentially feel comfortable coming to you again, maybe not necessarily because of you themselves, but because of the behavior and the, and the language that's used in that space by, by other kids or by other patients. And so whether or not Again, you're in a clinic, wherever, whatever setting you work at, the collegiate setting, you can have that. You can have adults who make jokes like that, you know, because they, again, not thinking anything of it, or they are just being purposely discriminatory because sure. some people use their religious beliefs. Some people just have their personal beliefs about it. And so as athletic trainers, um, we have the ability and the power to make our spaces as safe as possible. We might not always be able to control other spaces, but we certainly can control our own. And so really setting those boundaries and addressing, you know, when you hear little jokes like that, um, little micro, you know, we call them microaggressions. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that you know, addressing those right away and saying, hey, you know what, that's not appropriate because you don't know how that might be affecting that. That's probably offensive to a lot of people. And so, um, and you just don't even know it. I know we've gotten some feedback. I did a talk for VNATA last summer, uh, last June, June of 2021 with Sean Rogers, one of my colleagues on the committee. And we did like a case scenario about a transgender uh, patient, high school student. Mm -hmm. And some of the feedback we got for that, I'm going to be full, fully honest here, was that people felt the information was fine, but they didn't feel they needed to hear it because they don't have any patients or students that are LGBTQIA+. And I'm thinking in my head, well, how do you even know that? You don't know that. And right. even even if you didn't, even if you knew for sure that at that time you didn't, inclusion is for everybody, right? It's not just for LGBTQIA plus people. It's not just for people of different races or ethnicities um, or abilities. Inclusion is specifically targeted for everybody and it makes everybody's situation better, um, not just for one group of people. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but so that's really some of the biggest barriers is that the safe, it's the space itself isn't safe. It's not affirming. And so what happens is, is people don't seek out care um, because they're afraid to go. They're afraid to be being discriminated against. Um, they don't, you know, they don't want to be misgendered. They don't want to be called by the wrong name or the wrong pronouns. Um, and so they don't go. And so they don't get their preventative care. They don't get follow-up care um, when they're sick. And so it leads to a lot of, that's, you know, that's why, especially within the LGBTQIA plus population, there's a lot of health um, and healthcare disparities that exist. Um, and it's mainly because of facing discriminatory behavior in that setting. So that's honestly one of the biggest, the biggest challenges and the biggest barriers that that particular population faces. Yeah, I think, you know, just thinking back of my own life, you know, making jokes and things that in hindsight, like what terrible, and be, not only because it was bad for discriminatory reasons or it could make, but it wasn't necessary in, in most mm -hmm. instances. There was no need to go and use that route for any specific reason. Um, because it didn't add anything to whatever was being discussed or you know it, it's not like it was making 
the conversation could have been just fine without it. But yeah, I think to your point about the, some of the feedback, I think that's really interesting. I've had this conversation with some people just about multiple things, but is it, you know, does it, is it seemingly more common now with, or are we just more aware of it that, you know, more people are coming out as transgender? Is it because there's a growing comfort with it that they feel like they can, and it's always been that way, just nobody recognized it and knew uh, just mm -hmm. because it was, as you mentioned, a different time um, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And so I think for people to kind of understand that, that there probably is someone Absolutely. in that community <laughs> and you have no idea and or Absolutely. have no idea, you, you have to be aware of that. And mm -hmm. you know, for a lot of us, like I've tried to think about this, like how do you have conversations? You know, myself, I'm the heterosexual white guy from the Midwest, middle class. Yeah, I just right across the board, like had never felt discriminated against in my life because I've never been in that situation of, from where I've been. So how do you get potentially someone like myself to sit there and be like, yeah, here's how it would feel. Now mm -hmm. I've had the privilege of traveling overseas where you are the one that's not that you don't fit in and it's a strange feeling and it's one that I think is yeah worth experiencing so you can at least have some someone's never that it's comparing apples to apples but an idea of what that feels like right right and and you bring up a good point Joel because one of the things we talk a lot about in our trainings about you know inclusive environments and how to be that is that allies, so people who are in a position of quote-unquote privilege, right, mm -hmm. like you said, being the, the heterosexual white um, male that, it, you know, hasn't really experienced that um, discrimination, you are the ones who actually have the power. Because when we think about it, if you have somebody like yourself, um, you know, advocating and being that ally, for others who don't have that same privilege, um, it it can be actually a lot more impactful and affect people because they're looking, you know, people who are just like you are looking at you and going, hmm, oh, okay, you know, maybe there is something to this. Maybe we should be paying attention. Maybe we should be listening. Whereas if it's coming from, you know, I hope not, but it, you know, sometimes when it's coming from the people who are experiencing it, people right. will say, well, of course, they're going to advocate, of course, they're going to, you know, do that. And so that's part of being a, a great inclusive leader. It's not, um, it's, it is, it's recognizing that other people have different experiences. And, and you have to understand that you, you, you want to be able to be an active listener, you want to be able to try to understand them. And, and in order to be able to do that, you have to listen with empathy, you have to not be willing, you know, you can't be judgmental, you have to be very humble, in your own self to really just try to understand others. So it's a great point to bring up. You brought up inclusive leadership, which was kind of our other topic that we had on this. So very well transitioned on your part. Um, <laughs> how would you define inclusive leadership and I know that's a big question I tried to think about just the pure definition of leadership but um, throwing another description on it can always make it a, that much more complex but how would you define that well that's I mean and I know I even saw the questions ahead of time and I'm, I'm still yeah god it's really hard to put into words but it's I think it's being able to bring people together bring people to the table, but not just bring them to the table, but how to actively engage, how to make sure that um, things are equitable, right? We talk a lot about equity um, within inclusion where, you know, it's not just having access to the same resources, but having, making sure that each individual has the appropriate resources for them to be able to succeed the same way as the person next to them, right? Yep. Because someone like you and compared to somebody who's of a different race, ethnicity, LGBTQIA plus status, um, needs different resources and needs, needs different um, access points, right? To be able to achieve that high level. So being an inclusive leader is recognizing that and that you can't, it's not just a standard 
for everybody in the group, you have to know what, you know, the abilities, the strengths, really get to know each individual person and find out what they need um, to be able to be their best selves. And so I think that's, you know, part of being that inclusive leader. It's hard to really pinpoint a definition, um, but to me, that's that's what I would go with. I think you hit on some super important points there. You know, the ability to help influence people in a you know positive and ethical way. I think that's a around leadership definition. But then, I think the more I've dove into it, and I like the idea of transformational leadership and servant leadership. But I think that all you mentioned played in is that's the really hard part is figuring out what each individual needs in order to succeed and this going to the next level of it you know just beyond like a staff that you have that may all kind of look the same and what they need to succeed in their you know role but going beyond that and that just makes leadership and its definition that much more complex but that much more powerful if you're able to go and do it so i think yeah you hit on some extremely important points on that yeah, it it it's absolutely and it's it's time. It's not easy, that's for sure. And I don't uh you know, it takes time. It's constantly changing. Things are so fluid, right? Mm -hmm. So um it's but sometimes it's the little things that that make a big difference, you know. And so you're not gonna change the world, you're not gonna change a whole system in one day, right? The Rome wasn't built in a day. That's you know, it it's so true. And so I think it's the little steps in the beginning and trying not to feel overwhelmed with it, um, you know, make a big difference. Trying to figure out how to kind of frame these next questions because we've kind of covered all of it within that, but um kind of going back to just specifically AT and even in your role within the secondary setting, which I don't, I know some people might argue, but I would have fun arguing back, is one of the most important for the profession because of the impact it can have on patients early on in their career and exposed to what an athletic trainer is. Um, having worked in the collegiate level, having people come from a high school where they had a really great athletic trainer just makes my job that much easier. I don't have to win them over. And the ones that right. didn't have one or it, it just didn't go well, like it, it is a process to get mm -hmm. them back. So specifically talking your setting, what are some things you think athletic trainers could do to show that more inclusivity? You talked about it a little bit, um, you know, it's the safe space, but, truly making a safe space what other things would you potentially suggest or that you have implemented and found successful yeah i think part of that is is being involved too in you know decision making being involved in policy making procedures you know especially around you know non-discrimination policies around um you know especially too around mental health um, you know, that's a big part, at, at least from an AT role, right, in healthcare, um, we're seeing a lot of that. And so I think it's really speaking up, um, being willing to be involved in all of that um, is really important as an athletic trainer. And I, some people might feel like, and I'm not hired by the district, again, I'm hired by the the hospital, but I've been there for so long at the school that the kids, they they don't know any different. They think sure. I'm um, at school. I, I've been there 18 years and I get myself involved, even though I'm not at the school full time, I am there every day. And so I am a fixture there. And I think I've made a point to bring up, if I see discrepancies anywhere, that I bring it up to the administrators and I really talk to them about why this is important. One caveat I will say, my job has been very easy in that sense, because the high school that I'm at is the most diverse school district in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So they're very well aware there's a lot of resources in place. Um, there's a lot of policies in place. There's a lot of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's just a lot of work that's put in to make sure that students 
are recognized for their unique differences that they bring. It's a huge melting pot in this city. And as an AT, what I've had to learn, and I've learned a lot from the students, is the different religions. There's so many different religions that exist. There's so many different cultural traditions that exist, and especially um, around medicine and Western medicine. So, um, so for some of our Asian populations, um, you know, some of their beliefs around Western medicine are, are very different. And again, it's not, you know, I have to understand as a healthcare provider how to navigate around that without, without imposing my own beliefs and what I feel is the best thing to do, um, as long as that student uh, is obviously safe, and I feel like they are getting sure. the correct care that they need. However, they, you know, we we have to. These are minors as well, and so their parents or their guardians are, you know, the people who have the say. And so, it's in the high school setting dealing with uh, people who are minors. Um, and in this particular setting where I'm dealing with, I've had to learn all, you know, Muslim, Jewish, you know, so many other religions. Um, and like I said, cultures that I've really had to navigate how I provide care to them and really try to learn and understand and, and say, okay, how can I, how can I provide this care? And thinking about if I have to refer, say, a student out somewhere, where do I feel is the best place to refer them where I know that they'll get the care that they need and they deserve um, that's going to be an affirming environment for them um, and who will have the same understanding um, and empathy towards you know their situation as I do. And so those are all components of you know, leadership doesn't necessarily mean you're in a leadership position, you know, like officially, um, right. we're leaders all in our own right. And so I think part of being, you know, that inclusive leader in healthcare is, again, going back to understanding the individual themselves, um, what their culture is, what their beliefs are, what their traditions are, um, and, and how to make sure that they're receiving the best care that they can, um, and that you can provide in that instance one more kind of diving into the weeds question just for more examples on this mm -hmm. you just mentioned you know if you saw discrepancies or things um that you're wanted to address your communication with administrators and um you know stakeholders what have you found to be most effective and i know that this doesn't always transition over but i know it's a lot of times just yelling about it on social media probably isn't the most effective way for people to get their point across. <laughs> uh, but what have you found to be successful that potentially others, if they are seeing things, could kind of at least get a foundation from to build to try and help? Yeah, I, I you know, I know it always feels good to, to vent on social media, but it doesn't always, you know, that's not always where impact is going to happen or change is going to happen. And I think going directly to the source. So I've had, you know, if I've noticed something that I feel could be changed or needs to be adapted, um, you know, I, I call a meeting with my administrators. So I usually go to my athletic director first, you know, I, I follow the right chain and my, our school principal is, is um, very open and receptive. And so we'll usually sit down, talk, I present kind of what the situation is or what I think needs to be adapted. Here are some resources. Here's, you know, kind of some information as to why this is important and, and, what we can do and and why this might be needed and um you know just going from there and and i think just having that open and honest conversation um and providing information and providing data to kind of back up what you're saying you know i trust me i i can be very emotional and i can get very cuz my passion runs so deep mm -hmm. and so when i feel like a student um 
isn't getting the help that they need or I fail, you know, I, I take it personally and I, I want to do whatever I can for them, but you have to be, you know, you have to be strategic and you have to be, stay calm and you have to really, um, try to take the emotion out of it, um, so that you can be, be calm and effective and, and confident, if that makes sense. And so, um, it's really going directly to the source. Who are the people that you know that could be those change makers? Who are the people you know that are heavily involved in decision making that you can go directly to? Um, and I think that's that's been my best um, option so far. Awesome. Thanks for sharing those ideas. Anything we haven't covered around the topic of inclusivity that you would like to before we jump into the athletic training chat questions oh boy um no i just you know like i said i it it takes time i it takes i mean it this has been years i'm not i don't want to say i'm an expert i just it's something again that i'm just so passionate about that i'm even i'm constantly learning and and trying to grow and trying to reflect i so i think the biggest thing you can start with is start doing some self-reflection you know kind of think about like joel you you earlier when i was talking about something you were like oh now that i think back to some of the things you know in my younger years. Okay, now I understand. So just taking some of these points, maybe that were brought up today, doing some self-reflection, you know, how, is there anything about yourself that you might need to understand or be aware of um, and address those and just be mindful of that. Be mindful of your own language, be mindful of your own words, be mindful of how you're interacting with others who are different from you. Um, and but also at the same time, seeking out people who have different backgrounds from you, different experiences, who might look different from you, and engaging in conversation with them, really just trying to get to know them. Um, you know, you might learn a lot, and you might even learn a lot about yourself. And so I think that's kind of a first step for somebody. Um, again, it's not going to change in one day, but just being mindful of those little things um, is a really good start. Awesome. Appreciate that. Ready to jump into the athletic training track question? Uh, I am. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I don't know why I feel like these are harder than, <laughs> than what we just talked about, but let's go with it. <laughs> First one is, is where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? And that can be as a whole or setting specific, however you want to take that. God, uh, that's, that is a good <laughs> question um i honestly see athletic training is is becoming so much broader than what it was initially intended to be right i mean the initial and and i do there's still a lot of people who they think of athletic trainer they think of sports they think of taping ankles and ice yep. bags and and that's kind of where they got well you know some people are just never going <laughs> to change their mind and that's fine um but I see it's so much bigger. I mean, look at all the different settings that are, that do exist, you know, in the military, working in, you know, the industrial setting, we warehouses for injury prevention and ergonomics stuff. And, you know, still obviously secondary school and collegiate, but I mean, our, our current CEO of our hospital system is an athletic trainer, you know? And so that's his, that was his initial background as being an athletic trainer. And now he's a CEO of a huge hospital system in, in Massachusetts. Um, I just see athletic trainers being known for so much more in the next five to 10 years. Um, and so I do understand a little bit about the name itself. Athletic trainer kind of pigeonholes us a little bit. Sure. Um, but I also understand the other side of trying to change that name and then re, you know, yep, try to absolutely. reintroduce the profession. Um, that's a very difficult undertaking. So, um, you know, I see so much possibilities and so much expansion within our skill set. Um, it's just how to how to market that and how to make more people aware of what we're able to do. But I just. I just see us growing and my hope 
is that within the next five to 10 years that we are recognized as healthcare providers with all the major insurance companies? Yep. Um, to me, that's one of the most important steps to getting the respect and the recognition that we deserve and, and getting us in positions um, where we're, you know, with the pay scales and the benefits and stuff in that same position as the other healthcare providers that we're right in line with. So um, that's my hope is that within the next five to 10 years that that's where we're at. I like it. We can, we can go with that. And if it comes true, that's perfect. I would be very excited. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give yourself if you could go back to when you were a younger athletic trainer and if you could set when that would be? I, so when I went to undergrad, um, that was back in the day when, you know, clinical hours weren't so monitored. <laughs> um, I was, so I was doing a lot of hours each semester and um, a lot of traveling with the college teams as a student AT. And I would, I, like I said, I got a little burnt out. I was burnt out from everything. And I thought that that's what the profession was coming out of undergrad. And I almost left it completely. And I, so I would say to my younger self, um, you know, that's not what reality, that's not what it ends up being. Um, that was just your experience in school, but it's, you know, everything's okay. You're, you're going to be okay. And um, to have a little bit more self-confidence, that was a big barrier for me is that I wasn't very confident in my abilities. So that might've been part of it um, and why I took a little hiatus. Um, and I think by taking that hiatus, um, I did realize that athletic training was, was what I was just meant to do. And, but at the same time, I felt like by taking those few years off, um, I limited myself and I, my growth, um, rate was slowed a little bit as a professional. And so I guess just in that sense, my advice would be, you know, stick with it. Um, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Again, you're going to be okay. You know, have that confidence. You know what you're doing. You made it through, you passed, you're certified. Like, you know what you're talking about, you know what you're doing. Um, and just, um, be confident in yourself. But honestly, I just, I think, I think everyone should just go with their gut. Um, go with your instinct. If this is something you're passionate about, you're doing athletic training, you either love it or you hate it. And, sure. and if you love it, you're, you're going to be great. And you're, you're going to end up where, where you should be. Um, just stick with it. What has been the most influential resource that you have found in your career? Ooh. Oh boy. Um, honestly, I'm going to say my mentors. Um, I've had mentors in different settings. So I had my, my, my big mentor, um, in undergrad was our head athletic trainer, um, a gentleman by the name of Bill Bullock. Some of you, if you're listening to this might even have been familiar with him. He, he started the athletic training program at Salem State back in uh, 1975-ish, maybe. Okay. Um, he And he, you know, to look at him and to know him, he'd go, he's an athletic trainer. I mean, he was just, <laughs> um, he was just amazing, though. I mean, smart as a whip, but very real and just very not, you know, he was just that type of guy where maybe he didn't always look the most professional or whatever, but he, he knew what he was doing and he had a lot of respect within the NETA as well. Okay. Um, he did a lot of work cause he worked at Indiana university under um, coach Knight and okay. um, knew some people down at South Carolina and stuff. So he had a lot of connections, but he was, he was one of my biggest ones in undergrad. Uh, he was great because he really did just, he wasn't judgmental. He, he really would talk you up. He would support you. He would help you in any way. Um, he passed away from cancer in 2008. And that was a big, that was, that was really, um, 
it was a big loss for us, um, sure. at least in this area. But, it, you know, I built friendships and had mentorships with people just in the NATA, um, people on the LGBTQ plus committee um, that I would never in a million years have probably met otherwise. And um, those, I want to say, those, it's the people, it's the mentors, the people that I've connected with have been my biggest resource for sure. Awesome. As an AT in your role, and we've established that you're fairly busy, how do you take <laughs> care of yourself? <laughs> Very busy. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I do, I make sure that, uh, so I don't have any kids of my own. And when people ask, I say, well, I have about 600 teenagers. Right. So that I'm good. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm now at that age where the kids who I see are like, oh, Jan oh, my mom or my parents are the same age as you. And I go, oh God, don't tell me that. Like, <laughs> right, right. but anyway, so um, when I get home, I really try to focus on my family. My, my family includes my partner um, and my fur babies. So I have my dog, my cat. And so I make sure that every morning I am taking the dog out, you know, 30, 45 minute walk. That's, you know, it's for her, but it's for me as well. For sure. um, I make sure to, to disconnect. So that's really important. You know, I, I see a lot, especially on Twitter where, you know, in a way, it's almost sometimes a badge of honor that athletic trainers can are answering phone calls at eight, eight, you know, eight o'clock at night, midnight, or you know, doing this and doing that. And I, yeah. I disconnect. My phone goes on do not disturb. When it's on the weekends, and I'm not, I don't have any games, and I'm home and I'm not working. I, that's it. I unless it's an emergency, I, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to reach out about it. I just. You know, you, you have to do that full disconnect. And I find the the things that I like to do. I love to read. I love to go to the beach when it's nice weather out. Um, you know, just really taking the time and, and doing the things I enjoy doing. Fantastic. If you could change or eliminate one thing, it could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, or something of your choosing in the field of athletic training, what would it be? the mindset that this is how it's always been done I like that yeah and so that's the way it's going to be yeah. um and that could be applied anywhere but I definitely sure. see that a lot in athletic training and I challenge that every day <laughs> whether it's at the secondary school setting whether it's in the hospital I same thing you know yeah. there's processes in place and oh well this is how it's always been done well okay but that doesn't mean <laughs> yeah what do you mean in the clinic you know? some of the advice that's given from physicians i was like yeah that's no 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 you know like this okay you know that's just so i would say that would be the biggest mindset that i i would i would totally eliminate and change love it <laughs> Final question before we kind of wrap up. What does being an athletic trainer mean to you? No, oh, God. Um, you know, athletic training, it is. It's an identity. Um, it's, you know, I feel like we are a unique set of people. Um, we are willing to sacrifice a lot of our time um, and energy for others. Um, and I know a lot of healthcare providers, that's, it's common, but I, our setting is so unique in, in all ways in any, if you're industrial or whatever, our roles are so unique to anything else. And so, um, it is, it's an identity. It's, it's, it means being somebody who's so committed no matter what and and so passionate and just truly has so much empathy and care and making sure that the people that we are taking care of get better um and i think it, it's it's hard to explain to other people who don't do it um who aren't in this profession who to really get them to understand 
um, what we do and why, you know, we, why we all struggle too in personal relationships, you know, with time management, you know, it's like, I, I see this kind of running joke where it's like people's spouses or significant others are always like, so what time do you think you'll be home tonight? And it's like, well, maybe next week, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I think it's just, um, it's a unique understanding. It's a, a, a mindset of, you know, it's not to take it personally. We're just, um, we're just here to, to really be our best and, and do what we want to do and take care of others the best way we know how. Um, and I think sometimes we feel like we have a point to prove. Um, so yeah, it's just, it is, it's a, it's its own identity and it's, for me, if it means that I'm committed, passionate, um, then then that's what it means. Awesome. If people wanted to get in touch with you, connect with you, follow you, reach out to get involved in any of the committee work, what would be the best place for them to do that? Uh, I am very active on Twitter, as you know. Um, I wait what's my twitter handle uh we'll link it up so people can okay yeah it. <laughs> it's like um i i'm uh so twitter is probably my biggest one in terms of social media and and professional i'm also on linkedin and active on linkedin um and my email address and you can certainly link that um to the video as well i'm available by all means so anybody wants to reach out have a conversation you know looking for ideas or thoughts or resources yeah please please reach out awesome well thank you for taking the time and being flexible with the scheduling and really Thanks, appreciate you know, sharing your insight on everything here and look forward to conversations in the future absolutely thanks joel appreciate it thank you for listening to this episode we truly appreciate you taking the time uh, a lot of great things in it Looking forward to getting more new ones out. We know we've been on a little bit of a break, but they are coming. If you are interested in being on the podcast, talking about a topic that is important to you or just something that you really want to discuss, please let us know. We're happy to have you. We want to hear and tell your story. Again, Mueller Sports Medicine provides so much for not only us, but the athletic training profession. Please check out their new Revive technology. It is affordable pneumatic compression. Uh, scientifically backed with some really good insights into what they're doing and we hope to have more information for that on for you guys in the future thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode